ironoverload.io presents Iron Overload No Bullshit Podcast with your co-host Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the UG info like you've never heard before. No bullshit, no lies, straight hardcore truth. A bodybuilding podcast like you never heard before. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, IronOverload.io Hardcore, episode number 28, coming your way. Steve and the mobster joining me from across the pond. Love that intro, by the way. So this one, we're going to talk about how steroid use evolved the past 50 years. So let's take a time machine back to the 70s and um, talk about, basically in the 70s, there were four steroids that they used. Uh, 95% of steroid users in the 70s were using these four and these four only not together but these four in their entirety throughout the year or throughout two years over the course of two or three cycles we got provirin number one deca primo and debol and we know that these were the ones they use they use a little bit of debol and one of the reasons mobster they use these because there was no ai's in the 70s so they had no way to combat estrogen they didn't know how to combat estrogen so if you use testosterone you were basically an idiot you would end up with bitch tits you would end up looking like a bloated pig so one of the popular stacks out there and um that we know of was arnold running primo 100 milligrams a day Got to remember in those days, they came in amps. They were 100 milligrams. So you'd have to, to get it into your body, you'd have to do one cc a day. It'd be really hard to inject a bunch of Primo when it's only 100 milligrams per milliliter. And then a hand, handful of D-Bowl here and there. And then they'd stop the D-Bowl ahead of his competition. And then if he wanted to use DECA in the offseason, he'd use DECA with Proviron. They didn't really understand why DECA and Proviron worked worked good together but they did and it because deca being a nandrolone proviron being a dht so you got a dhn dihydronandrolone conversion and you got a dht derivative steroid and proviron so combining them made for a really good cycle low side effects no water retention at all so good bulker on that one increasing your appetite you're able to eat more and you're able to bulk so I think that those that's a pretty good sense of what guys were doing in the 70s who were bodybuilding. I think another thing, Mobster, too, in the 70s is you didn't have a gym on every corner. In America, oddly enough, there's a gym on every corner. There's a yoga studio. Every town has several yoga studios, no matter where you are in America. You could be in Kansas or you could be in New York or California, and there's yoga studios and there's gyms all over the place. So... Americans definitely work out. A lot of Americans work out. And um, in the 70s, it wasn't so much that way. In the 70s, if you lived in Kansas, you would have to drive maybe three or four hours to the biggest town. And there might be like a boxing gym there where you could where you could work out at. But you didn't have accessibility to gyms like we do today. You know what I'm saying? Now there's a Planet Fitness, an LA Fitness, a Gold's, they're all over the place. And they're franchise gyms independently owned. And that's 
that's the big difference too, I think now today. So it wasn't as much of people going and lifting weights back then. So the people you would see on videos lifting weights in the 70s, mobster, those were the people who really had access to the best gyms in the country, Chicago, New York, and Southern California. Those three places. If you didn't live in one of those three places, you would have to drive to get to a gym. Even when I was in high school, I can remember any decent gym, I would have to drive about 30 to 45 minutes to get to a decent gym. Now, within five or 10 minutes of me, there's like three or four gyms. What do you think, mobster? So here's the thing, guys. I mean, we've mentioned this on previous podcasts. There was an element of back in the day, and we're talking about 50 years ago here, even 30, 40 years ago, Steve, guys had their local gym or a buddy that would have a bag of steroids in the trunk of his car. And you can see, you can read these stories online of guys going out to the fella car and he would open up the bag and say, here's what I've got. And now accessibility through the gyms that Steve mentioned, through that the, the much bigger uh, accessibility of lifestyles to gyms and, and health clubs and so on and so forth means the same thing with UGLs, with, for example, approved sources like we have on the forums, you have accessibility like you've never had before. And in fact, I mentioned in the pre-show to Steve, I cannot understand the guys that come online and say, this is all my source could get. And I'm thinking, why, why are you still getting it from the gym? Why are you still, I mean, don't get me wrong, the gym owners need to make a buck. And, and the fellow with the bag of stuff in his car needs to make a buck. But let's be honest, guys. I can go right now to an approved source on one of the forums of the Evo family, click on that link, and I can have access to 20 or 30 brands, just brands and labs, minimum 20 or 30. It's probably more. I've never bothered counting, Steve. And each of those labs and brands will have some of the same and sometimes a little bit different variations on a thing, but they will have a minimum of 15 to 20 steroids. Now, some will have stuff that other ones won't have. Well, what does that mean? That means I have access to probably 40 different anabolic steroids. That in itself is at least above and beyond what they had 50 years ago, Steve. So that's number one. That's that's just it right there, number one. Number two, and something we're going to touch on here now, guys. Right, so Steve listed literally the drugs that were available and they formed your stacks. So often there are stacks. Steve and I have talked about stacks that we've done, which have been two drugs, two, just two. And this is what the Arnold, the Primo, and the Debo was two drugs to get him to Mr. Olympia. We've no ARA, Steve, as you said already. Now, it is become almost voguish to have multiple, and I mean multiple drugs. There are those stories, I believe, again, the Dallas MacArthur quote-unquote death stack was one of those, where you had a pre-season stack, then a mid-season stack, and then the competition stack. And the, the, the list of drugs that went around multiple forums, multiple podcasts, multiple videos, had 10 drugs in there. Now, not all top professional bodybuilders are using this kind of level. But what happens is an awful lot of amateurs and would-be competitive bodybuilders think that's what pro bodybuilders are using, who have a great genetic advantage and get away, funny enough, an awful lot of time with using less. And there's obviously Dallas is an exception in that particular example. But they think they need to have six or seven or eight drugs and there'll be two weeks of this and then two weeks of something else and then the last eight weeks and so on and so forth. And you can find examples. You can find examples of young guys coming onto our forums and saying, this is my stack and it'd be five or six drugs. And Steve and I have talked about in a, a, a recent podcast that we just recorded 
few days ago, uh, the the best stacks that we'd ever run, and they were two drugs. Uh, and 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 so yeah, let's talk about just accessibility to drugs, Steve, before we get into the dosages. So talk about accessibility in your opinion. What's changed? Do you agree with what I've just said, or yeah. do you have a different? Well, I'll tell you. You know, the younger guys listening to this, we have a lot of you in the twenties, and we love you guys. You guys are the next generation of bodybuilders. When me and Mobster are going to be buried in six foot under, you guys are going to be our age and you guys are oh, going to be, yeah, yeah. you guys are going to be, you know, in charge of this stuff. So very, very important that you guys keep listening to this podcast and keep, you know, spreading the knowledge and educating uh, on all this stuff. But um, it's hard to understand. And, and I've talked to younger people about this, but back when mobster and I were younger, there was no internet. You couldn't go online and order things off the internet. That was unheard of. And in the seventies, people didn't have credit cards the way people do today. So it wasn't like you could just order, you know, steroids off the internet with a click of the mouse back then. It was hard to get steroids. You had to know somebody who could get you steroids and you had to trust them not to be an undercover cop. Because back in the 70s, across America, you have thing, you had things called vice squads. And vice squads, they try to bust you for anything. Now, steroids at that time, the legality wasn't the way it is today. So steroids at the time were actually not scheduled and um so in terms of that you didn't have to worry about that but what we did have to worry about is quality of the gear of knowing the right person in the gym to ask and yeah. you know um you had to find that's how you would get steroids back in those then really the internet didn't come around uh the first time i actually used high-speed internet it wasn't until i was actually in college where i actually used actual high-speed internet in the late 90s, the way you would get the internet mobster was for me. I don't know if I was. I had dial up, man. We had I had, AOL, yeah. I had we, one of the modems you can hear it working. Yes. We had AOL <laughs> and um, it was called, um, you know, you've got mail as soon as you logged in. I don't know if you had that in Britain. Did you have AOL? I don't know who you had, but you'd have to dial um, up. I think I had AOL way back at the beginning. You could literally yeah. hear the modem making those. So you'd have to, noises. so you connect the phone cord to yeah, the back yeah, yeah. of your computer. I had that. I had the and next it was called a long distance number because if you didn't live <laughs> close to a city, you have to call a long distance number and you have to pay for a long distance call as you're using internet. And then it would die. It would take forever just to get into the internet, oh, man, and it was so freaking slow. So yeah, wow. obviously you, you couldn't order steroids. So the whole ordering steroids didn't come around to the two thousands at least. So um, so anyway, back in the seventies, hey, that was the only way, but buddy. And then people back then they didn't make the kind of money they made today. Now, I mean, in the United States, I mean, if you don't make six figures a year in the United States, I mean, you're you're poor. <laughs> You know, so um, now we can afford to go and buy a thousand dollars worth of cycles. No problem. Even an 18, 19 year old, you can go and do, you know, you can go whack off on OnlyFans and make make six figures a year. And then you'll have uh, yeah. this, that disposable income. So back then they, they didn't have that kind of money back then to go throw in on, on steroids either. So I think that that's been some of the big changes let me talk about three classifications of drugs that we've discussed in the pre-show, Steve, that they, that they never had 50 years ago. Actually, one of them is kind of, there's is, is two classifications, peptides and growth hormones, which of course is a peptide. You didn't have those. We have research chemicals now that we can access, Steve, as you know. Back in the day, you had a mailing list, maybe four or five steroids. Now you've got these sites that I mentioned already. And then you had growth hormone come in 
accessibility at late 80s, early 90s, although someone may have had access to it a little bit before then. And then we've got the research chemicals, specifically peptides again. And then I'm also going to throw in here, Steve, SARMs. SARMs and peptides and growth hormone was not available in the 70s. Growth hormone was just on the periphery. And I mean just on the periphery. The whole, uh, I'm thinking of a particular Mr. America that was talking about if we'd have, we could have had it for monkey brains and we would have eaten the monkey brains. Um, uh, Steve, something around his name escapes me. But did the whole insanity or intensity bodybuilding. Steve Michelak. So he was talking about that then. But that's it. You, you had mailing lists. But like I said, there was no research chemicals. There was no access to the internet to see what researchers were using. Zero peptides. There is a list of peptides now. And I'm thinking, again, of one of the sponsors we have on the forum, Steve, just for Psalms is a great long list on there and a form that you can get those in and you can make them yourself and the way to measure them and all the, the accessibility for the equipment, the research chemicals. There was zero pro-hormones back in the day. So there's just stuff like that, Steve. It literally is like being a kiddie in a sweet shop when it comes to performance arts and drugs compared to 50 years ago. Wait, wait, for example, again, let's go back to Arnold again. And I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. They went to a doctor in Venice Beach that was recommended to them. Probably like Joe Weider. What do I know? And then this doctor would be a fan of bodybuilding. So he would administer the drugs. In other words, he gave you the jab. He wasn't even doing it yourself, although that came obviously. And he would check your bloods. He would say, Are you having problems with acne? And now you, we, we buy the, the syringes, the pins, the syringes, everything, the shops off of Amazon and off of eBay. We have accessibility to different size needles. Again, you had what was given to you before. You've got all these other drugs that weren't even, didn't even exist 10 or 15 years ago, Steve, never mind 50 years ago. And something else I want to touch on is the doses. The, Steve mentioned the simple Arnold, Primo, and Debold stack. And I believe we and I have discussed this before, Steve, and I think we were looking at somewhere between two and 300 milligrams of Primo per week and 30 to 50 milligrams. It's probably the lower 30. And as I recall, there was some conversation online amongst some of the veterans that Arnold was using more than the others and he was, when the others were using 5 and 10, Arnold was using 15, 20, 25, 30 milligrams a day of D-Bomb. And that was considered a stretch. In other words, guys, let's say that he used 30. He was using 210 milligrams of D-Bomb per week, that's 7 times 30, and 2 to 300 milligrams per week of Primo to look like Arnold and to win the Mr. Olympia. Now, that would be considered a baby stack, a novice stack, a starter stack now. And one of the issues that's come over time that you and I have discussed previously is the sheer volume. What do I mean by volume, guys? I'm talking about a 1,000 milligrams is kind of like where most guys would like to be. But we know that there's two, three, four, five-gram stacks. I can think of one example, and it's historically funny enough, from around that time, I believe it's between the late 70s and 80s, and this would be Peter Griminski, one of the owners of uh, Gold's Gym, who had access to a lab because one of his relatives worked in a pharmaceutical company and was able to source material for him. And he was the only person, I believe, Steve, from that time, Muscle Smoke and Mirrors, Randy Roach's book, talks about an interview. You can find this online again, an interview with the man himself talking about 10 grams a week. 
but he would be one of the very, very few extremes of that side. Five grams a week is almost becoming normal. And the problem with that, Steve, is that there's an element of once you start getting comfortable with the higher dosages, two or three grams is considered to be mild relatively. And yet, again, we're talking about how it's evolved over the last 50 years. So we go, what was the dosages? I've told you the dosages. Two to 300 milligrams per week of Primo and 210 milligrams per week. So 510 to 610 milligrams total, not even three quarters of a gram for Arnold. And the D-bowl consumption was considered to be extreme by some of his competitors. Compare that to the numbers that we see. And we know of members of the forum that are talking about five grams a week, Steve. And that's without the growth. That's without the peptides. That's without the psalms. So the the literally the numbers, the volume of oil, the volume of dosages has gone up. Talk about that, Steve. Okay, so looking at Mr. Olympia, early 80s, you had Chris Dickerson, who we've done a podcast on before, great, great man, uh, rest in peace. And then Samir Banut, 82, 83, Mr. Olympias, they did not weigh very much. Uh, Samir Banut was a short guy, kind of like me, but you know, his contest weight mobster was about 195, 200, maybe 205 max. I mean, and then Chris Dickerson weighed, you know, weighed like 190 pounds. I mean, but then in 1984, what the hell happened? You had Lee Haney come on, and Lee Haney was an absolute beast. He's six foot tall, 275, 285 in the offseason. And in competition, 1984, Mr. Olympia, Lightest, he's, he was was 230. And then the, he got up to 260 at the 1989 Mr. Olympia. So he was between 230 and 260. What the hell happened? These guys gained you know, uh, 60 pounds, you know, and these started, guys started getting huge. Then you had Jessup Wilcox in the same uh, 1984. He was 250, you know? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, what the hell happened? So we got to point to a couple of uh, steroids that came around in the 80s and especially the early 90s, and we got even bigger animals that were in, in the Mr. Olympia, and that's trend balloon and, and human growth hormone. And, you know, parabolin is what they call trembolone. And parabolin was pharmaceutical grade, and it worked amazingly well. And, um, you know, it was the change that came. Human growth hormone allowed these guys to get absolutely huge. And then you combine it with the trenbolone, the parabolin, and they got absolute, they turned into monsters. So in the 70s, if Arnold and Samira Banu and Frank Zane and these guys had access to trend and ACH, we would have saw them blow up as well. But those weren't available. So you can make the argument, does the 70s look better than the 80s? You know, we can make we can make that argument, you know, and uh, all day. And, you know, obviously that's not what we're doing on this podcast, but we're just showing you what transpired in the mid 80s to turn these guys into beasts. And really, it was, you know, it, it, it was the change that happened. Lee Haney is the guy who revolutionized. You had Arnold in the 70s, really changed bodybuilding and put it on the map. And you had Lee Haney turn it into a freakish event the Mr. Olympia, 
And um, that was it. I mean, once Lee Haney came on the scene, he changed it. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe he wasn't on, on, on much more than what they were running, Mobster. Maybe he was on Proviron, Deca, Primo, Debole, you know, on those, those types of steroids. And he just was a freak. But I think that some of these guys in the mid-80s and late-80s especially, they started getting a hold of Parabolin, and they started getting a hold of human growth hormone. And that's what really, really changed the physiques. What do you think? There's a great argument to be made, and, and you and I have discussed this before, and I've referred to Paul Gillette and Lee Priest and others, where um, the and the internet can be to blame for this, Steve. I think there's an element of people can't get their heads around the genetic advantage that top professional bodybuilders have over the average person. And so, for example, Lee Priest has discussed the dosages that he's done, which would be Arnold-esque. He talks about living with Paul Dillette. They shared a place in, near Venice Beach, near Gold's Gym, Gold's Gym, where he trained. And he said Paul Paul was sometimes using the same. He wouldn't always remember to inject. He wouldn't always remember, and yet he was still an absolute freak. He was eating crap food. They were, as, as did Lee. And you got so you got this advantage. I can refer to, for example, Dorian Yates. Dorian Yates posted up his cycle after many years, and he would be retired. And he did an article in his column, uh, a feature in his column in Muscular Development Magazine, and it went onto the forums at the same time. And people said bullshit. They said Dorian used more than that. The, the story, and I remember this story, Steve, that was doing the rounds at the time, that him and Lee Haney and others, where the story would have it. The only reason these guys were looking the way that they did was they was having their blood sucked out at night time and then re-injected with, with, with additional amino acids added to their blood so that they were constantly growing. They had growth hormone in, that was dripping into them overnight and all this kind of stuff. And people couldn't get their heads around the fact that these guys had this great genetic advantage. So what happens now in terms of anabolic steroid use, performance enhancing drug use, is that there's an idea that these freaks are using 10 times, five times, six times, whatever, some crazy number in comparison to say to the average person with the less than stellar genetics, normal genetics. Here's the thing guys, you don't know what genetics have got till you start training. You don't know how you're gonna to respond to performance enhancing drugs until you use them. And the same thing we've got, we've got to be arguing for supplements. But the problem then is that people imagine that they need to use more. So here's the thing. You could argue very quickly, Steve, that we haven't physiologically changed in 50 years. It's not, it's not, it's only a couple of generations, Steve. So why is it that old school bodybuilders, and I know old school bodybuilders, and they've told me the dosages that you use, the pills, some of the pills and some of the injectables that you refer to come in tiny dosages, one or two milligrams. Debo was like five milligrams. And they were talking about low-dose anivar. And yet the physiques that were being presented then were high quality. We have not physically, anatomically, we haven't changed in terms of our ability to absorb chemicals, etc that much we haven't well we haven't we haven't changed there's no that much about it so then you go down to what what has changed yes diuretics have made for drier looking physiques so there's something else that wasn't available it wasn't messing around with that stuff you couldn't for example like steve said you couldn't even go and get your bloods tested as easily as you can now there wasn't trt clinics available so you could go how many people do we know just in the last few years steve that are quote unquote on trt and then it'll be not even normal trt levels sports trt levels that didn't even exist 50 years ago 
There was no testosterone replacement therapy back in the 70s. Nothing like that existed. So here's the thing. Sometimes we, and this podcast, with the stuff that we provide, and it's not always, guys, you're not always going to want to hear it. We, we try to give you information that's based on, as I said before, tens of thousands of members, hundreds of thousands of members, tens of thousands of users by our own personal experience with products and so on and so forth. And we talk about the success that we've had personally. We can talk about conversations that top professional bodybuilders have had. You've got access to that now, guys, that you never had before. And I know that it's difficult to believe that sometimes these pros use less than amateurs. And the internet makes for a different slant. It says, I don't believe it. I will take more than they're saying because they want you to believe they're only taking half as much. You go, okay, let me know how you look. Post a photograph. The people that are using two or three times what professionals are using are not turning into professionals. They're not reducing Olympia level physiques. And yet it has become a thing. It's become accepted to use huge amounts of multiple drugs to be on TRT, to never come off steroids. And none of those things existed 50 years ago. I think there might be an argument, Steve, to be made for. It's almost that we need to make the mistakes in order to get it correct. And I don't just mean as individuals, but as a sport. We need to almost learn that we don't need 5 grams and 10 grams and crazy amounts of IUs of, of growth hormone and insulin and all those things that the great and vast majority of us would benefit with a lot lower dosages. Dosages is similar to 50 years ago. And there's even one more argument to be made here, Steve. And I'm thinking in terms of the classic physique look. With people like Chris Bumstead having more followers on Instagram than Big Ramy, the Mr. Olympia in the open class, but we're almost coming away from the idea that we need to be using crazy amounts of gear and doing crazy stuff in the gym. Don't get me wrong, Steve. I'm always going to want to lift heavy. But that physique that he has and the group of people that he's competing with has become more popular and they're not promoting the idea that these guys are on five and 10 grams a week. So there's an argument to be made that maybe we as a group, as an industry, as a, 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 a sport, if you like, are coming away from the open class, five grams, lots of growth hormone, tons of insulin, tons of peptides, and kind of almost taking a small step back. It's forums like ourselves and podcasts like this that are pushing that in the right direction. What do you think, Steve, before we finish? I think a lot of it, Mobster, too, is a different mentality because 50 years ago, if you wanted to learn about weight training, you would have to go to the library, check out a couple books, read them in the library, or check them out and take them home and read them and then bring them back, and you could take out two more books. You were not allowed, even allowed to take two books of the same category. You know, the librarian would yell at you if you tried to do that. Today, if you want to learn how to do a lift, you just go on on YouTube's, you know, and you just bring it up and you do it. So things have changed a lot, man. I, and I talked about that, too, at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, if you wanted a good gym back then, you had to drive. Yeah. You know, now it's it's on every corner, it seems. So, you know, we've we've kind of adapted to that. It's the old adage of the bird who makes a nest on top of a power line. And then you you tell the bird, you know, um, you know, hey bird, um, that that where you put your nest, that was actually man made. 
they basically went in the woods, chopped down a tree, made it into a pole, put the pole up and hang the uh, a power line across of it. And that power line is is to give humans electricity so humans can, you know, have uh, watch TV and humans can do this and do that. And the bird looks at you like, wow, I, you know, I, I this is all I know. I, I know that there's power lines everywhere. Well, bird, you know, uh, a thousand years ago. Um, there were no power lines, you know, a <laughs> hundred years ago, there weren't power lines. So your great, 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 great grandfather never saw a power line. So it's the same thing. When we get used to a certain thing, we do. Now you have four-year-olds using iPhones and iPads and, and all this yeah. stuff. They'll, you, you get used to it, then it's hard to get rid of. It's like modern plumbing. It's hard once you enjoy hot water, once you enjoy, you know, those benefits of modern plumbing, it's hard to just go and uh, shower in the stream, you know? Uh, and, it, you know, so we, we get used to things. And now it, there's no patience like there was in the 70s. In the 70s, they were patient, you know? They had a competition coming up and they would train for it months and months and months. They would train to get rid of it for the Mr. Olympia once a year or the Mr. Universe or whatever the competition was. Now there's competitions. There's guys. We've done podcasts on some of these guys. Wobster, they're doing competitions every uh, every two weeks. They're going to a different competition. <laughs> so, I mean, why am I going to, uh, you know, if I'm doing two competitions a year, I can be patient. But if I'm doing two competitions a month, I can't be patient. I want results right away. So, yeah, I'm going to use trend. Yeah, I'm going to use super draw. Yeah, I'm going to use anadrol. I'm going to use these harsher steroids. And I'm and, and more dosing so I can get quicker results. I don't got time to wait. I don't have time to wait for the ester to kick in after five weeks. I want to I want to kickstart my cycle. I'll yeah. run triple the dose to kickstart my cycle, or I'll run two orals to kickstart my cycle. So yeah, I mean, I think the mentality too has changed definitely. So you have to factor that in as well. So me and Mobster and I were talking about this on the pre-show. I think. The dosages have actually been coming down over the past decade. I think we peaked. I think people realized, hey, running two, three, four grams a gear becomes counterproductive. And it's better if I run one or one and a half grams a gear and I'm able to control my side effects. And I'm able to be more flexible in my cycle and even keeping, you know, cycles, um, you know, even off cycle cruising. You know, Mobster mentioned sports TRT. I think people are realizing cruising on 300 or 400 milligrams of testosterone year round isn't such a smart idea. No. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've talked to Boston Lloyd um, off the podcast and I've interviewed him at least three times on my podcast. Um, you guys can look up those videos, but I mean, he would cruise in the, in uh, when he wasn't on a cycle, he'd cruise on 500 milligrams of testosterone minimum. And uh, people are realizing, you know what? That's not a healthy thing to do. Boston Lloyd, unfortunately, passed away because of his, you know, uh, abuses, you know. And yeah, people people are realizing it's not such a smart choice. And they're like, wait a minute, you know, is the risk versus reward really worth it? And I think they've backed off on their dosing. But it's also experience of once you tried it. You know, we talked about on our prior podcast. Um, I ran 750 milligrams of, of sustenance on one time. 
And then on a, a non, next cycle, I ran 500 milligrams. Honestly, I had better results on 500 milligrams than I did on 750 milligrams because I was better able to control and manage my side effects. I was able to sleep better. I wasn't having that much water retention. I wasn't having that much high blood pressure. So I was able to kind of live you know, live more normal and sleep normal and, and, and wasn't so uh, obsessed over the amount of steroids I was using. So I was able to actually able to have a better cycle that way. So I think people are realizing that mom. So what do you think over the past decade? I, I'd argue, Steve, that, that again, it's for, sorry, it makes for great reading and it makes for an interesting uh, video. If you're the kind of person that puts out this information about the crazy use, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'll have people like me and you that are on the forums and we haven't banged the drum of taking one, two, three, four, five grams a year ever. And we keep plugging away, keep plugging away, keep plugging away. So here's the thing, guys. The, 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 it makes for great traction on a video with the algorithm for YouTube to produce a video or write an article and have it get picked up by Google again with the algorithm. So someone telling you a crazy man. And it was fun. It was even fun when I was online in the 90s, Steve. You'd have someone, someone up the train, up the train, up the train. It was almost done like a joke. Okay? But here's the reality. Again, this is aimed at the majority of our listeners. There will always be a tiny percentage of guys that will respond well, including to performance-enhancing drugs, so anabolic steroids and peptides and growth hormones and psalms. There's always going to be a percentage that will okay with higher amounts. But the great and vast majority of our listeners, the great and vast majority of people that go onto our forums are not that percentage. It's 5%. And the top, top elite is 1%. That leaves another 90 to 95% of you that will do well with lower dosages. Now, even compared to 50 years ago, we're using probably a little bit more of the sensible amounts, but there's an excess. Now, we provide with this podcast, with the other podcasts, with the vlogs, with the articles, and especially with our forum posts, a greater accessibility of, uh, to information that shows you that you do not need to do these crazy cycles. But you still, even if we give you sensible cycles, you still have a much, much greater accessibility to a wider diversity of pharmaceutical quality drugs than you ever had. Arnold and the others with literally what they could get from the doctor, what they could get from the guy with the bag in the trunk of his car. That was it. You and I and Steve and all our listeners, we can go on and we can go onto the forum and we can click on a sponsor's link and we have a greater accessibility than anyone had back in the day. We have some specific sponsors that offer products that weren't available 10 years ago. We have uh, PED sponsors that have a list of peptides, as long as you're armed, and I mean that literally 20 or 30 different peptides that were never, wasn't even on the radar. They were still research chemicals five or 10 years ago, some of them. Some of them still are. So they were, wasn't available 50 years ago. And information comes from research. It comes from use. So we know that Although we've increased, or should I say, arguably slightly increased the volume that we're using, there are too much information on higher dosage uses, which you don't need. Too much information sometimes for some of you in terms of accessibility to information, accessibility to products that makes you feel like you need to do these kickstarts, that makes you need to finish up. And again, most of you do not. So most of you are looking to get lean 
or stronger or more muscular. And the difference is that you have great availability of information, great availability of products, great accessibility to quality products. And sometimes it can get confusing, but here's the thing that we do this podcast to give you this information. So things have changed from 50 years ago, but you physically have not. And most of you do not need to go to the extremes that we have seen happen in the last 50 years. But like Steve says, these podcasts is an example of us telling you that you could take a step back from the crazy amounts, step back from five, six, seven, eight, nine products in a stack, step back from using the, the levels that we've seen suggested and at one or two fractional percentage you use and almost, as Steve said, back to a more sensible use, a more evolved use. And like I said earlier on, Steve, maybe we needed to go to those extremes to learn that we didn't need to go to those extremes to learn that we didn't need 15 or 20 different ingredients, uh, performance enhancing drugs in the stack and some of the things. And again, that even includes the occasional professional going to those extremes. As an example, Stephen, just to finish, um, there were the, a lot of athletes for the last few years have been to the oxygen gym uh, with Beta uh, in Dubai. And there was lots of stories going around about their accessibility to peptides and accessibility to pharmaceutical quality drugs. And there may have been some truth to those rumors. They literally could walk out the gym, walk up the road, walk into a pharmacy. And if you mentioned a few names, you got what you wanted. But what a, a greater element of what I think was happening was that these guys were living like monks. All they had to do was train and then go back to their apartments and play video games and get on Skype and talk to the wives and girlfriends in their apartments. They were being, they had food brought to them and the first one would knock on the door and give them a bowl of food. And if they hadn't eaten the last bowl of food, they'd give them another bowl of food. It was almost like they were being force-fed. And they went to, they went to the gym, they were fooded for the meal, Steve. They were, it was a serious groin. They were away from the wives and girlfriends. They could only focus on the training and on the food and on the other elements of the lifestyle. And so they it was like going to boot camp. And you had people that really wasn't going to be sympathetic to you. Oh, it hurts. You were made to do these reps. You were Put you with 15 reps. I don't care if you're tired, do me another five reps. And so it was that kind of training for three months with food given to you. Knock on the door, here's your meal prep. Knock on the door, here's your next meal, and so on. And the accessibility. But it didn't have to be a great long list of drugs. It doesn't need to be. And these guys were coming back with five or 10 pounds of muscle when they hadn't been able to do that because they were getting access to the internet. They had buddies around them, the families around them when they were training in America, when they were training in other countries. So in other words, what made them grow? Better food, regular food, religiously applied, hard, hard training and no distractions. It, the accessibility to the drugs may, maybe, maybe been a little bit better. But to be honest with you guys, I think we've all got that accessibility now. You don't mind waiting for it to come through the mail. You can get pretty much anything when it comes to performance and arts and drugs. So the other things still apply more. And even Arnold and any other guys would have been because they were all training together at the same time. Steve said the gyms were far and wide. There wasn't hundreds and thousands like there are now. So you all ended up going to the same gyms and training together and being around each other. And that included accessibility to information. You all ate the same restaurants and trained in the same gym and you kicked each other's ass because your buddy that was going to kick your ass in competition was there across the room training at the same time. Guys, think about it. You don't have to have everything just keep things simple we've covered it in another podcast there you go
Please note, we are not doctors and opinions are ours. Our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, our podcast are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.